Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. Today is Tuesday, November 21st, 2023. As always, we're grateful for everyone who's choosing to join us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work, That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet, and it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. It also contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is an, a, a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. If you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. Or if for whatever reason you're unable or unwilling to do that, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. 
or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And if you choose to do that, we will announce or discuss your comment or question or feedback on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for your feedback or input. And um, we're very grateful whenever anybody chooses to do that, primarily because um, it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And it makes it far easier for us to know how our work is landing when we get that feedback from you. And it makes it easier for us to live into our intention with the work, which is to be a service. So we're here for another Tuesday. There will be a support group tonight at 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time. Um, all the information you would need to be able to join us for that is on mindshiftersacademy.org. And there's a separate info page for the Tuesday login info and a separate one for the Thursday. And um, feel free to pass that information along to anybody you think might benefit from joining us or feel free to join us yourself. 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time. It's um, I've received several um, testimonial type feedbacks in the past few weeks, and um, there's been some. deep processing done by several of our members and there's been a sharing of um, a writing that one of our members did that was getting published as a an article and as I I think about that I think hmm I, I should probably ask her before reading it or sharing it on the internet show but it's a, a beautiful piece of writing um, titled Joy in Disguise And um, when I get permission, I will read that. But it's just a testimonial to the fact that this community of people that are each doing their own work and supporting others in doing their own work is highly beneficial. And, um, And often in ways that no one would have predicted. Um... It's kind of like what we were talking about in the way of mastery where it says you can't really know how these things are going to work out. So don't don't think that this pathway is the pathway of the intellect. It's a pathway of empty-headedness and not knowingness and asking to be shown. And it's not like anything that the Western mind or the conscious logical mind would dream up. Um, As a matter of fact, it kind of flies in the face of everything I've been taught in terms of my schooling and my pursuit of a doctorate and 
you know, having the the imperative, right, this urgent need to figure things out. And um, I'm never going to figure it all out in that sense. And yet, if I ask to be shown, I might live along into some answers that I never could have imagined. And that's what we're after. We're after newness. We're after what the scriptures would have called metanoia, which is a totally new mind, a new level of mind. And as Guy Finley points out in his talk so often, the new can't be known. If you are out searching for something, you're searching for something that you've already known or a variation on what you've already known. And that's not new. And so if you are busy pursuing that, you're going to stay stuck in the past. And we're advocating for something entirely different. We're advocating for the awareness that I can only have an experience of something new when I do what the way of mastery is asking us to do in the very um, beginning of the book, what it calls the promise, and that is put down everything I think I know. Put aside everything I think I want and just approach life with that empty-headedness, that not-knowingness, and um, ask to be shown. Quite literally, recognize, I don't really know what anything is or is for. What my mind wants to tell me moment to moment is just kind of a reflexive response to what it's been trained to do, to try and avoid punishment or to try and seek out reward. And as long as I continue to do that, I'm just going to keep getting what I've always gotten, which is some modicum of a sense of safety and some middle-of-the-road sense of satisfaction, but nothing lasting, nothing deep, nothing fulfilling. It's, it's like the old line about, you know, eating the menu and expecting to get nourished. There's no nourishment that's going to come when I eat the paper the menu is posted on. I have to have the actual meal. I have to be willing to have the full-on life experience. And that means something new. That means nothing like anything I've ever experienced. So... 
up plenty of time for comments and questions. If no one raises a hand, I will go back to reading from the Way of Mastery Lesson 3. And um, we're going through it again. I have no idea whether we're going through it a little more quickly or a little more slowly than last time. I'm just reading and responding to what jumps out at me as I read it. And one of the first times I read this book, I had the the very strong reaction when I read what we, we ended with last time. The idea that anger is never justified. And to tell you the truth, when I first read this book, that was a shocking statement for me. But again, as I was just talking about, it was new. So I thought, well, by the time I got introduced to the way of mastery, I was already awake to the fact that I couldn't keep doing what I'd always done and get any new results, right? If I keep doing what I've always done, I'm going to get what I've always had. So when the way of mastery read, I say unto you, anger is never justified. You're going to experience it, but stop fooling yourself into believing that there's some validity to it. That really caught my attention. And then the whole thought about even if somebody breaks into your house and steals your stereo equipment, you do not have to rage. You do not have to demand that they be punished. You do not have to lose your peace. You could choose love. You could choose an interpretation of that set of life events that's very much awake and aware. It's not putting your head in the sand. It's not pretending it didn't happen. It's understanding that if somebody broke into your house and stole your stereo equipment, they're not looking at the world the way you are. They don't have an understanding about how to navigate through the world and get what they need or what they feel they need and want without hurting somebody else. And I could choose compassion in that moment. I can choose to dismantle the judgment that I know everything about them and how that's wrong. And I could choose an option that says, you know what? I am so grateful that in my life today, it never even occurs to me to think to go steal somebody else's goods. I am so much better off than somebody who's had life experiences that brings them into a situation where they feel like breaking into someone's house and stealing their stereo is is a productive or a useful thing. So I could sit in gratitude just that I wasn't raised like that and that I don't have, you know, desperate need for material things at that level. I could rest in the observation of my true nature 
and just have the gratitude that I know that my true nature is light, is love, is undamaged by this series of events, and that I can sit in my current perspective and extend loving energy and loving thoughts and blessings to this person. Now, that, that took things to a whole new level. I mean, as I, as I think I've mentioned, I, I had a very good family upbringing and very, very little trauma, etc. So I was already on the path to leaning towards being loving, and yet this took it to a whole other level. And as I settled in and began experimenting with that, I found it was highly preferable to the anger and judgment and bitterness and resentment that I'd been trained to offer up whenever life didn't go the way I wanted it or whenever somebody would, quote, trample on my rights or offend me or betray me or steal from me or lie to me, etc. So what I'm doing now as I read this book is I'm reflecting back on how much my life has improved the more I've actively tried to apply these perspectives and views and interpretations in my life over the years since I first read this book. So where we left off, I'll read, the text reads, it begins in simple ways. To set the stage, I want you to remember that time has been given to you that you might use it constructively. That means you awaken in the morning and you realize that you are in school. You don't have to drive anywhere. You're already there. And if somebody breaks into your house and steals your stereo, it's just an opportunity for you to lift a little bit heavier weight to go to the gym and work out and in a, a little bit more difficult situation, choose for love. It's easy to choose for love if the people around you are smiling and, and hugging you and giving you gifts. It's not so easy to choose for love when you don't get what you want in life or what you wanted is taken from you as a, at a physical level. So you could look at your life every day, everything that happens, as a school. Where, and this is the text again, the universe is literally helping to assist you in having experiences that will bring things up for you. What's going to bring up for you? It's going to bring up your sense of right, wrong, justice, injustice, bitterness, resentment, hurt. But it brings them up not to punish you. It brings them up so that you can look at them differently from somewhere in the way of mastery, whether it was a darshan or the Q&A from the darshan. One of my favorite ways it talks about this is every time I get triggered to an upset or I have an upset come up in me, it's an opportunity for me to bring new presence to energies that once defeated me. Defeated me in the sense that I forgot to choose for love. It had me choosing for angerness or anger or bitterness or hurt or resentment. 
So the text reads, the universe is literally helping to assist you to have experiences that will bring things up for you so that you can choose to look at them differently. And when you choose to look at them differently, you discover the great power within you, the freedom within you to choose what you want to perceive and to elicit only what you want to feel. Do you want to feel love? Do you want to feel joy? Do you want to feel gratitude? Do you want to feel appreciation? You have that option even when the building is falling down around your head, even when the bank account is empty, even when it comes to your attention that somebody stole money from you or lied to you in a way that's going to derail a business adventure. You have the the power, the great freedom to elicit only what you want to feel. And the text then says, so that even if nails are being driven through the hands, you finally are liberated in the power to choose love and thereby to overcome this world. The text goes on and says, having said this, Understand that each of your days is a blessing and a gift, especially if you use it from the full commitment to awakening. Your day is chock full of a million opportunities to discover a deeper truth. Therefore, never feel the purpose of your life must be something other than what you are involved in. For remember what we spoke of early, earlier, quote, you are literally creating everything you choose and nothing is forced upon you, close quotes. Now we're going to take that thought just a little deeper for a moment. It literally means that if you have decided you want to awaken, you have already called to yourself every experience that can truly best serve your awakening. Think about that. If you decide you want to awaken, you have already called to yourself every experience that can truly best serve your awakening. The friends, the family, and people you have relationships with are the ones who likewise can best gain from the experiences elicited through relationship with you. The system is going to do what it always does. It's always going to extend creation. There is a synchronicity that Jung talks about. There's a connection between all peoples and things that goes beyond the physical. Each and every person that comes into your life as a, an experience as an opportunity, can be viewed by you as a gift. It means that right here and right now, you're already demonstrating the power that you are seeking. The power to truly choose to awaken and to command the whole of creation to serve you in that awakening. So, here's a suggestion. When you awaken in each of your mornings, look around. 
who is that person sleeping next to you? They are your perfect companion. They are a messenger of the Creator. For just behind your experiences, there is something deeper taking place. That's because your mind, capital M mind, is resting right next to the mind of the Creator when you first said as a soul, quote, I want to awaken, I want to go home, close quotes. As soon as that happened, your Creator answered your prayer and began to send the thought through your spirit and through your soul into the conscious mind. And here's the thought, quote, I know how to direct you home. Give up this career and start that one. Move from this location to that location, close quotes. Once you ask to awaken, you begin to feel all manner of impulses. You begin to read different books. You begin to do different things. You met someone and fell in love. Do you think this is all by accident? Hardly. The very thought that you would claim as your own from which you have created the world of your own personal experience is also literally the result of your prayer to awaken. The Creator is sending these thought vibrations through you. You are moved. You have an impulse. You have an urge. It's not just your conscious logical mind. The Creator is creating and assisting you to create just those experiences as stepping stones that carry you from where you are to where the Creator is. The result is that your ordinary daily life is the most perfect ashram you could ever be within. It's the most perfect school. It's the most perfect place to study and grow. Your very life. It is the holy city to which it is wise to make pilgrimage every day. What does that mean? It means to bring awareness and commitment to exactly what you are experiencing. To be thankful for it, to bless it, to embrace it, to be vigilant and to be mindful. Here's a question that helps you be mindful. Quote, what is this moment teaching me? Close quotes. Every part of your life, every aspect of your day, you could choose to look at it as your pathway home, as the stepping stones to peace and love and compassion and the atonement or the awakening to the fact that we are all one, the at-one-ment. So then the text goes on and says, having given that as background and foundation, remember that you do not experience anything that is called a, a quote, ordinary moment, close quotes. In each and every moment, extraordinary things are occurring. Extraordinary things are occurring in which the whole of the universe is conspiring. Now what that means is to breathe together. The universe is conspiring with you to awaken you and to heal you. Trust it and love it. That these things are true, and I assure you that they are, this means that your life, the very life you're living, 
is equal in power and majesty, majesty and effectiveness to any life that has ever been lived. It means that your very life is equal to the one that I, Yeshua, lived. For it is bringing you home as my life was my pathway home to the Creator. So to build on what I shared earlier, the third axiom or principle could be encapsulated this way. Quote, I do not live any ordinary moments. With each breath, my experiences are the stepping stones laid before me of God, the Creator, to guide me home. I will bring awareness to each moment and allow it to teach me how to forgive, in other words, dismantle any false perception, any negativity, how to embrace and how to have my energy of love extending fully and therefore how to live fully in each moment. So here's a third axiom. And this axiom, for whatever reason, as I read this book, I realize, of course, this is my second or third or fourth version of this book. I'm not sure. But as I'm reading this book, this third axiom is not highlighted. So I'm taking a moment here to see if I can find a highlighter and highlight the third axiom. Again, this just, to me, calls out, how many times have I read this book? We had somebody call the Internet Show the other day and say, can you go back and explain this one exercise to me? Because I keep reading it, but it seems like I go unconscious. Same thing happens here. So here's what the text says. To build on what I shared earlier, the third axiom or principle can be encapsulated this way. I do not live any ordinary moments. With each breath, my experiences are the stepping stones laid before me of the Creator to guide me home. I choose to bring awareness to each moment, and I allow it to teach me how to forgive and dismantle any false perceptions, any negativity. And I choose to embrace it, and I choose to extend the energy of love, which is my true nature, and therefore... I choose to live fully and learn how to live fully by asking to be taught in each moment. I was working with somebody recently where this was at least half of the session was focused on this, trying to get this young person to understand that they're in the middle of their life right now. They kept talking about how they want this to happen and that to happen so they can start their life. And I kept trying to help them understand their life is happening right now. This is it. And they think they're working a job to save some money so they can move to a different country and do this and do that. And that's their life, this, this thing that they want to do when they get to this other country. And I kept trying to help them understand they're doing it right now. They've chosen to work a job that they know isn't going to be a lifetime career, but they're doing it to pull together money so they can do X, Y, and Z to make the move. 
to where they want to be. And they are absolutely miserable. They're creating a misery and an upset and an irritation and a negative judgment about life and about the company they work for simply because they're defining it as this isn't what I want rather than looking at it as the stepping stones to take them where they want to be. And it's extraordinary how somebody can be 24, 25, 26 years old and never had anybody explain to them they're choosing how to experience their life. And if they keep shooting for the future and saying, because I'm not where I want to be yet, I'm miserable today, that's a creation. And to to have them be that old and not have any exposure to that is it's very powerful. And so here they are, 24, 25, 26, 28 years old, and they're being introduced to the concept that they can choose a different filter. They can spin the kaleidoscopic wheel of interpretation to one that is more neutral, at least neutral, if not positive, and create a different experience of life and learn more about themselves and about life and drop some of the veils that keep them from experiencing themselves as the energy of love expressing in form. They could start asking, what is this moment teaching me? They could start living into this third axiom that says, I do not live any ordinary moments. And with each breath, my experiences are the stepping stones that are laid before me of the Creator to bring me home. And I will bring awareness to each moment, and I will allow it to teach me to dismantle my negative perceptions and negative judgments against myself and others. And I will ask it, to teach me how to embrace life and how to extend love and therefore live more fully, moment to moment. The text goes on and reads, In your ordinary moments, a thousand times each day, you will be confronted by opportunities to be disturbed. And in that very same moment, you are being given the blessing of the opportunity to choose peace, to remember to cultivate a perception of yourself or your brother or sister that is a perception birthed out of the Christ mind and not the egoic mind. That would be forgiveness, to drop the judgment and the perception generated by the egoic mind and step into the perspective the view, the understanding, the integrated exploration of life that the Christ mind would offer. Every day, a thousand times each day, you will be confronted by opportunities to be disturbed. And in that very same moment, you're being given the blessing. 
how could it be a blessing to be disturbed? Because in this moment, as a disturbance comes up in me, I have the opportunity to choose peace. I have the opportunity to remember to cultivate a perception of myself and or my brother or sister that's birthed out of the Christ mind. I have the opportunity right now to lift a little bit heavier weight as I choose for love in a more difficult constraint set. What's the difficult constraint set? I just got disturbed. I put an interpretation on this life that resonates my trauma and upset and judgment from the past. I want life to be different than it is. I think my egoic mind, my intellect is more important than my my open heart and in that moment I have a new opportunity to lift a little bit heavier weight to get a little bit stronger at choosing for love in a more difficult life life circumstance it's the work of life it's the work of growing and strengthening my capacity to extend love in more and more difficult situations it's the work of waking up to the awareness of how my egoic mind my intellect wants to put a negative spin on life rather than just see it as the flow of creation and ask how can I learn to embrace this moment how can I be taught by life in this moment by love in this moment how can I extend my true nature as love and be a blessing to myself and others in this moment and therefore get better and better at doing that moment to moment The text goes on and reads, Forgiveness, then, can be practiced diligently. And you'll not need to look too far. You'll not need to make a pilgrimage to some far city. You do not need to go sit in a cave in the mountains somewhere to discover the way to the Creator. It's all around you. Because you can only be where you have decreed to be. And you have decreed to be there because you, as a soul, truly want nothing more than to awaken. Your life, just as it is unfolding moment to moment to moment, is meant for you. If this is true, and I assure you that it is, the way to the Creator can only be found in your willingness to embrace and live fully the very life that is within you and that unfolds through you with each moment. To live without fear, to go forward, to indeed trust and embrace the very power and the majesty that is the seed, the soil, and the ground from which your life's experience is unfolding. This, your life, is precious, it is extraordinary, it is blessed, and it is given to you of the Creator. Just think what accepting that view, spinning the kaleidoscopic wheel of interpretations of every moment in your life to that view. Just think, feel the truth of how that shifts your experience of the energies vibrating in you. 
the text goes on and asks, would you not embrace the blessing of your life and sanctify it to keep it holy and recognize that your very life is worthy of respect? It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It matters what you think. It matters what you value. It matters the interpretation you choose. The text goes on. Beloved friends, your life, your life is your way home. If you do not live it fully, how can you ever arrive home? Therefore, fear not your greatness. Fear not the power that comes from embracing life and claiming its value. Live it full out with every bit of passion you can muster. Embrace every second of it. Every time you wash your dish and cup after breakfast, look upon these things and say, oh my God, this is my life. This is my pathway home and I'm going to live it. Precious friends, in this way, you will come to forgive yourself of the judgments you have made. You will come to dismantle the perceptions that lead you to believe you're less than or greater than anyone else or disconnected from anyone else. You will use the power of forgiveness, which again, in this definition, is to dismantle the perceptions you have placed upon yourself and others. To understand any negative interpretation is an error. You will remove, in the process of forgiveness, every blockage to experiencing the radiance of the creative energy expressing in life as you and the things and people around you. The text goes on and says, For who among you has not known the feeling of saying, Oh my God, my life is just not worth very much. I'll never be like so-and-so down the street. I'll never have enough money. Not enough people are going to know me. Well, when will my work ever get out as big as that person's work? And on and on and on. But the text reads, I say unto you, every time you have judged yourself, you have weakened yourself. Every time you have judged yourself or another, you have slipped down the mountain another notch when your desire is to be at the summit. Just breathe into that. Every time you judge, you slip down the mountain from where you want to be. Every time you judge yourself or anyone else, It isn't too far down in the next page where this book, The Way of Mastery, which was channeled from 1994 to 1997 by a person who probably had no concept of Bruce Lipton and the cellular biologist and Candace Pert and her studies and and yet it sounds almost identical where it talks about how every time you judge, the very cellular structure in your body breaks down. And if you knew what happens in the processing of your cells, you would never judge again. 
yourself or anyone else. So there's a lot more here, but it seems to me a good time to take a breath and ask if anybody has a comment or a question. We're, I guess, maybe halfway or a little bit more than halfway through the third lesson titled The Power of Forgiveness. Can you see, is it resonating for you how powerfully this might change your experience of life if you made the commitment and you diligently applied these questions and you diligently watched for any judgment of your life as less than? If you stepped into the third axiom as a follow-up to the first two, So the first two axioms are all about how you are creating your experience of life. I have created this experience. Something within me is so grand, so powerful, so vast, so beyond anything that scientists have ever come up with that I have literally crystallized into the field of experience and awareness of being a body in space and time. This has come forth from the field of my consciousness. It's the gift to me of the Creator, and the Creator asks only that I learn to create as the Creator creates. I only experience the effects of my, my own choices. I am created as the Father created me to be. I am free. Nothing sources my experience but me in each moment. Nothing has an effect on me whatsoever except that which I choose to allow to affect me. I need do nothing. These are the first two axioms restated. I am created as the Father created me to be. I am completely free. Nothing sources my experience but me in each moment. Nothing has an effect on me except that which I choose to hold as value. And I need do nothing. Those are the first two axioms. The third axiom given to us in the next lesson, the third lesson is, I do not live any ordinary moments. With each breath, my experiences are the stepping stones laid before me of the Creator to guide me home. So I will now bring awareness to each moment, and I will allow it to teach me how to forgive, how to dismantle any negativity, how to see through the veils of negativity and judgment, to see the shimmering radiance of the creative life energy, life force flowing through me and everyone and everything I see. I will ask to be taught how to embrace life, how to extend love in every moment, and therefore how to live fully. Three axioms. Just imagine how your life would be transformed if you remembered these, if you wrote these down and read them every day, if you invited the awareness of these axioms to come to mind throughout the day as you live your life, as you live what we now know 
is never an ordinary moment. So we've got about 10 or 11 minutes left, 563-999-3581. How is this resonating? How is this landing for you? What's getting stirred up? Give that number a call. Press 1 on your phone. In the absence of anybody pressing 1, I'm going to read just a little bit more. Maybe I'll get through this next page. The heading reads, How Forgiveness Heals. The text reads, Understanding these things, let us look more closely at forgiveness. How does it work? What really occurs when you forgive? You are a conduit of energy. The degree, to the degree that that conduit is in perfect working order, the energy can flow so radiantly that the conduit actually becomes transparent. That is, it no longer blocks the flow of energy. There is no barrier or limit to the capital L light that flows through that conduit. When you judge, when you have a contraction, when you feel a negative emotional state, when you're judging yourself or somebody else or an interaction in your life, it's as though you contracted and made the walls of the conduit smaller, just like building up rust in your pipes. And the flow becomes less and less. As you dismantle your judgments, as you forgive the judgments, as you see the false nature of judgment, it's as though the rust in the pipes is dissolving. It's as though the walls of the pipe that are carrying the liquid of the Creator's love begin to expand and become thinner and thinner and more transparent. Judgment is contraction. The dismantling of judgment, the opposite of judgment, is forgiveness. And forgiveness is relaxation, peace, trust, and faith. Forgiveness allows the spaciousness within your consciousness to grow. This book says over and over again, love allows all things, trusts all things, embraces all things, and thereby transcends all things. It says the same thing about forgiveness. Forgiveness allows all things, surrenders to all things, trusts all things, and thereby transcends all things, embraces all things, and thereby transcends all things. So this paragraph says, forgiveness allows the spaciousness within your consciousness to grow. For when you look upon the thief that has broken into your home and say, I forgive you, you're decreeing the opposite of what you've learned. The culture would tell you, you have to condemn this person. You have to judge what they did as wrong. You have to see them as separate from you. You either have to attack them or you have to defend against attack from them. When you dismantle those perceptions... When you refuse to judge, when you ask to be taught by the flow of life and the experience of having someone break into your home, you're decreeing the opposite of what the culture has taught you. 
and you're decreeing that nothing of value can be taken from you, and you're decreeing that judgment is the opposite of what you want. You are decreeing that judgment will cause you to feel the opposite of how you want to feel. And you are decreeing your power to perceive differently. You are, therefore, healing yourself. If you ever want to come home, you're going to have to become very, very divinely selfish. Here, Michael Rice would substitute the word self-wise. You're going to have to become so self-wise, substituting the word selfish for self-wise, that you will not tolerate judgment in yourself of anyone or anything. This comes right back to the promise that says, drop everything you think you know. You can't make a judgment unless you think you know better, unless you think you know right from wrong. Drop everything that you think you know and everything you think you need and drop every negative judgment about everything you've ever done in your life Look lovingly upon every place where fear has made a home or any of its stepchildren have made a home in your mind. Anger, bitterness, hurt, guilt, shame, resentment. Look lovingly upon those places and you are decreeing differently. You are decreeing that judgment is the opposite of what you want and it will cause you to feel the opposite of how you want to feel. You're decreeing that you have the power to perceive differently and therefore you are healing yourself. If you ever want to come home, you're going to have to become very, very divinely self-wise. You're going to have to become so self-wise that you will not tolerate judgment in yourself of anyone or anything, including anything you've done in the past. This is because you will begin to recognize that every such act catapults you to the other side of the universe from where you want to be. Judgment causes the very cellular structure to break down. If you could see this, you would never judge again. When you judge, even the cells of your body go crazy. They vibrate in a completely dissonant way. There is contraction. The fluids do not move through the cells. The nutrients do not become transported or delivered to the cells. The waste matter is not processed properly. Everything gets clogged up, and there is dis-ease. Therefore, beloved friends, understand well that judgment is not something to take lightly. Oh, should you then judge yourself if you've noticed you've been in judgment? No, that's a judgment in itself. And only love can heal. Only allowance, acceptance, surrender, trusting, embracing can heal. Therefore, when you know you've judged, simply say, Ah, yes, 
that is that energy. I recognize that cloud that's just passed through the field of my awareness. And I can choose again. Choose again with a breath, with an awareness that judgment carries with it a tightness, a tension, a heaviness. Choose again. Breathe, soften, spin the kaleidoscopic wheel of interpretation to one through which you enjoy the experience of extending love in the moment. You ask to be taught by life. You surrender the need to know and to be right. You breathe and soften and allow. And that will take you to the other side of the universe where you want to be. That will help you create an experience of life that moves closer to the bliss state, that moves closer to appreciation and joy, that moves closer to gratitude, to the vibrations which make it easier for you to extend your true nature in each moment with every person. So that's our presentation for today. Hoping it's even a fraction as useful to you as it is to me. And we'll be back tomorrow. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love. And everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate you. And I appreciate you're the welcome. reading again. And deserving. And I'm glad you're enjoying. And have a wonderful show. Thank you. Welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is Tuesday, November 21st, 2023. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us, and we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show, and it helps us to direct you know, what port in, and, uh, you know, we appreciate you being on our team, and we're glad that we are on your team. I'm going to check with Michael. Hold a moment. Okay, he is dialing in. So We are here to support you. That's what this radio show is about. And so we've had some really good discussions the last few days. And uh, if any of it has triggered anything, Michael quoted a lot of Carl Jung yesterday. And I put the links to, I think, most of those and have them in the show for yesterday. And uh, so we hope that we are going in the direction that you want to go. So press 1. Let us hear from you. I am rebooting the chat room. It won't let me in while Dr. Kim is on, so hopefully that will be cleared up and everything will be going good. Uh, we've got a few days now without technical issues with blog talk, so let's hold that 
that stays that way. Hope that you are in happy gratitude uh, preparations for Thursday. You're meeting with family that, you know, you, you breathe and you are ready to work through any family issues that have not been dealt with because they will be triggered and they'll come up for, for the next layer. So we do hope you have an enjoyable Thanksgiving. Uh, as far as I know, we are going to be live on Thursday. So we will be here with you. And Michael is with us now, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. Welcome, everybody. Glad you're with us. Delighted to have this opportunity once again to carry on the conversation. And I'm going to invite once again questions, thoughts, insights that have come from working with Aramaicism did last week away. Four hours of information that can't go. Back and just that works off. Michael, you're cutting out. Make sure your make sure your headset's connected well. Yeah. All right. Is that any better? Let's check it out. It is. Go for it. Oh, okay. So I'm uh, I'm thinking there still have to be questions, thoughts, process around the Aramaicism bit. So I'm going to open that window again and invite somebody to give us some thoughts. I know I got a couple of texts from. Wow, that was you know, a pile of information. And it, and it's the kind of information that. You to listen to over and over and over again. They should comes after over at that point thirty five or thirty year point breaking time you come fluent in sexual language starts to make sense. And I'd love to have some conversation about first century for me. It meant you to have the insight of difference between Greek, Latin, and English conceptual frameworks. So one of the most important is the Aramaic. And if someone would press one and let me know if it's my phone, uh, Michael, you're still cutting out on my end, but it may be my phone. So if someone on the switchboard okay. will press one and let me know if it's clear on your end, then I would hang up and dial back in. Is anybody out there? Hello. Okay, hand went up. Yeah. So eight four seven, you're on the air. Who do we yeah. have? And yeah. is Michael coming through clear? No, he's breaking up. It's Don. Oh, hey, Don. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm rocking. Doing well. Let me hang up, and I'll try dialing back in again and see if I can get a better connection. And if you want to go ahead and chat for a second. All right. Thank you for letting us know that. And uh, 
So he'll dial back in and we'll see if it's any clearer. I thought sometimes it's my connection, so I thought, well, maybe everybody else is hearing him okay and and it's my phone, so we'll see how he comes back through. It's um, absolutely pouring the rain here. I don't know that that would have anything to do with cell signal, but okay, let's try it again, Michael. And you must be Okay, talk a little bit and let's see. Oh, yeah, I'll talk. So Aramaicism, uh, no, it's it's still cutting out. Well, uh, do you have a second headset you can try? Okay. Uh, he says for me to go ahead. I don't have a whole lot to talk about here. So, um, I was working with someone this morning, and uh, one of the uh, things that came up was talking about the inner child. And they had attended a, a different kind of a workshop, and they were talking about how well all of it integrated with what we were doing. But uh, uh, it reminded me of something I wrote about uh, in one of my psychology classes, and that was uh, it was a person called Eric Erickson, and, and he believed there were eight stages in life, and if you didn't successfully move from one stage to the next, that you carried that uh, into the next stage. And to be successful, you needed to complete, like, for instance, the first stage is up to 18 months, and it talks about trust versus mistrust. And if at the end of that stage you still hold mistrust to those around you and everything. You move into the second stage, and that's where shame and doubt and all comes in, and the third stage is guilt. And, and so it just moves on up. And so the inner child work that he was talking about, basically the same thing, and that they go back and look at the situations when you were a child or traumas and dramas and, and things that weren't dealt with uh, back then and being able to look at them and face them and forgive them. Um, I don't think that the uh, uh, inner child work actually used the term forgiveness, but letting it go and getting beyond those issues and dealing with, you know, the, the things that you didn't handle when you were going through those stages of development. One of the things he said he was able to take into the group was um, introducing the people that were in the workshop to holding that newborn child and being love and that that's who we are. And he said everybody liked that idea. So, you know, he was able to take some of the work that we've been doing and introduce it to this new group. And so, uh, anyway, Michael's back with us. Let's see if this headset well, Let's see. We've got a brand-new headset. Spare. It is much better. That's it, eh? You were really Ouch. clear. Yep. Okay. Well, I guess that's so much for the old headset. In any event, uh, Aramaicisms. <laughs> you were starting to uh, talk about some of the uh, the the work that um, 
was introduced. Yes, I was just telling them, you know, we're talking about the the inner child work and going back and facing issues of, you know, the drama and trauma that happened when you were a child and you didn't have the tools to face them. And so a lot of the work that he did was around that and learning to like who he was and not depending on having somebody else to bring that satisfaction to his life. Sounds like power person dynamics of approval. That's a big one on the planet. That's that's a big motivator for half of the world, I think. In any event, anybody have any thoughts? Any questions? Any any thoughts on the Aramaic that what it stirred for you as you listen to the Aramaic? You know, I I find it interesting that um the man who was is responsible probably statistically for more deaths on planet Earth than any human being in history, said the way to destroy a culture is to change the meaning of its words, Vladimir Lenin. Change the meaning of words. And one of the things that um, just so powerfully grabbed me when I first came across the Aramaic was how the definitions of so many words have just been totally lost, the original definitions. And so people listen to the man named Yeshua and what he had to say, and they think they're hearing what the man had to say when the meanings of so many words have just been disappeared that if Yeshua sat in most of what's called what I would call churchianity today, he'd say that's all Greek to me. A lot of really wonderful people, really wanting to serve, really wanting to uh, to bring healing to the world, and trying to do it with uh, with disabled words. You know, if there's anything in your life that you disable, obviously it's not going to work very well. Why is so much of the world in conflict? Why why do we have 32,000 sects of so-called Christianity? Can there be 32,000 sects? Can there be two? No, there can only be one. <laughs> you know, there can only be one teaching as it fell from his lips. And, you know, if there are 32,000 sects of Christianity, then we've got 31,999 false teachings. And of course, virtually everybody believes that they were born into the right one because they were threatened if if they ever went against it, they'd go to hell. And that's why we don't have any religion here to teach. That's why that's not what this is about. This is about bringing the tools forward that the man Yeshua 2,000 years ago taught. Here's how it works. Here's how the mind works. Here's how human life works. Here's the first law. Here's how you live it. But when somebody speaks of those things, or, pardon me, thinks they're speaking of those things, but are speaking Greek, Latin, or English interpretations of those words, and the original's gone, so we're looking to restore the original, the original set of tools 
not a theological system. You know, when I first came across the Aramaic, my background's in electronics with a side study in physics. And when I first touched into the Aramaic, for me, it, the, the insight was, this is about physics. This isn't about theology. This is about physiology. Well, my background in medicine, this is about physiology. This is about psychology. This is about genetics. And when they said, you know, just take a simple example, something like the sins of the fathers will be passed, yea, into three and four generations. Remembering that the word sin in Aramaic is an archery term that simply means off the mark. Those energies that are off the mark are passed from generation to generation. That's genetics. It's not, you know, I can remember being a kid and, and hearing that and thinking that was some kind of theological threat. Oh, I'm going to get punished for what my father did, or his father, or his father. No. They were simply informing us of how physiology works and how genetics impacts our lives. And to recognize that the tool of forgiveness is a tool for removing the dynamics from the mind that are based in hostility and fear and being restored to the truth of who we are as the presence of love, as Gene was saying earlier. I had someone who had uh, had written me a question uh, just yesterday on Facebook, a private message, and saying, gee, I've got a, a brother that's got schizophrenia. What do I do? How do I help him? What is schizophrenia? Well, you remember that goals drive perception. If I have conflicting goals, I'm going to have conflicting perceptions, conflicting constructs of the mind. Now, to some degree, I would say virtually everybody's schizophrenic. <laughs> Everybody has some conflicting goals, but in the extreme, we have a perception that's over here one day, and now it's over in the opposite pole the other the next day because goals bring forward conflicting perceptual constructs from the mind. So uh, a starting point for dealing with and healing something like schizophrenia is, first of all, establish one's purpose. And we do a workshop called Purpose, Personal Power, and Commitment. And the Purpose Workshop is about recognizing that we live in a culture that brainwashes us into, you need to be a good commercial servant. We need to educate you. Well, if you go to the word educate, its actual meaning is educari, means to draw out. But you'll notice most of what's called education is, oh, we're going to open the lid on the top of your head and we're going to pour in information, and then you're going to be educated. Well, that's indoctrination. That's not education. Education means to recognize who this being is, draw them into experience and existence in this world and support them in building a container, their own body-mind unit with all of its thoughts and, and uh, energetic patterns, supporting them in developing that container as a fit vehicle for their purpose in the world. I think oftentimes the root of something like schizophrenia is somebody has a, an inkling of their purpose, but somebody else said, no, you need to do this. I remember one man that uh, they came to a workshop, and he had a friend who his mother wanted him to be a doctor, insisted, and he wanted to drive a truck. And his mother insisted 
that he become a doctor, that he get his medical degree. So he went to medical school. And he got his MD. And when he graduated, he walked off the stage and handed his mother his medical degree and said, I'm going to get a job driving a truck. And that's what he did. Having that underlying desire, you know, that's my thing. That's what I want to do. I want to travel. I want to see the world. I want to drive a truck. And somebody else says, you have to sit in an office and you have to, you know, feed people poisons. Hmm. Sounds like conflicting goals. That's the kind of thing that leads to schizophrenia would be my offering. And so the first step in healing a conflicted mind is to establish one's purpose. We have a worksheet for that. We have a worksheet for bypassing the brainwash of the world that says you're supposed to be a good commercial servant. If you go to our website, just uh, put in a search title, Purpose Worksheet. Gene's probably already putting it in the notes, <laughs> the link to it. And it's pretty self-explanatory. Fill it in. And, and you know, it takes time to clear out some of the brainwash, so there might be some conflicting things. But as you clean up your mind, you get really crisp and clear on your purpose. And then, if you want to, the, the other part of the workshop is personal power. Well, what's purpose got to do with personal power? Well, when you realize that we are energetic beings, we are not physical beings, we are energetic beings, energy systems bring through more power by aligning. Most people want more aliveness, more power, more vitality. And energetically, they're misaligned. You know, one part of them's over here, another part's over here, another part's over here, and another part's over here. And they wonder why they can't just coalesce their energy and bring it forward full force. Establish clearly what your purpose is, and then make sure that all of your thoughts are on purpose. If you have a thousand thoughts that go in another direction, then you've got some forgiveness to do to, re to remove those things that don't support you in your purpose. You want to make sure that then out of those thoughts, you formulate goals that align with your purpose. When you come into alignment, you have a whole different level of energy flow through you, and that's personal power. So the focal point of that workshop is establishing and then taking the time to refine your awareness of your purpose, which may be very deeply in conflict with what the commercial system wants for you, for what your parents want for you, for what a spouse wants for you, for what your friends are doing. You know, you hear the phrase, marches to the beat of a different drummer. That's somebody who's conscious of their purpose as, and is not just going along with the cultural program. That, you know, you have to go get a good job and make money. So as one cancels out, learns how to forgive and cancels out conflicting goals, then those conflicting realities will tend to subside and one will have a consistent, persistent application of the awareness of purpose and the alignment of purpose with goals so that one does things that are on purpose. You know, when, when you are not aware of your purpose, oftentimes, you know, people get stuck with doing just what they want to do, and what they don't want to do, they avoid. 
that changes when you really get clear on your purpose. You find that there are things that you maybe like to do, but they're not in alignment with and don't support your purpose. So what happens? You kick those goals out. You stop doing those things. And then you find that perhaps you end up doing things that you say, I'd prefer not to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't like doing this. But it serves my purpose, so I'm going to do it. And that's just part of the process of getting clear as a human being on who you are. And, you know, in that workshop, we talk about two levels of purpose. I'm not sure why I'm talking about purpose so much today, but there are two levels of purpose. There's what we call a primary purpose. And my offering in that workshop is that we all, as human beings, have exactly the same primary purpose. And that is to be functioning, viable human beings. You know, if you had a, a child that was being born and that child had to participate in the building of its body. It's kind of an automatic thing. You don't have to say, well, now it's time for me to develop a foot. Oh, I think I'll do a leg. Oh, I need an eyeball. I need some hair. No, that unfolds. But imagine that, you know, from conception on, the being that's going to inhabit that body has to build cell by cell, cell by cell. And, you know, does it for a few months is a lot of work. Man, there's a lot going on here. You know, lungs, liver, heart, blood vessels, bones, so oh, skin cells, toenails, fingernails, eyes. I mean, how do I keep up with all of that? And that person says, you know, I give. I quit. I'm not, I'm not going to do this anymore. That's about the point of three months in utero. What happens six months later when that child is forcibly ejected from the womb? They're going to be non-functional. They're going to be non-viable. So obviously, if you had to build your physical body yourself, you'd want to build a viable physical body so that at birth, you would function as a human being. Well, my offering is that we are, we are here to build a viable conscious spiritual body, to be aware of the higher faculties that go beyond the human mind and to develop those faculties and as those faculties are developed, to develop a viable, conscious, spiritual body. And my offering is that's the purpose of every person on the planet. If you look underneath the surface, you find that that's one of the reasons or, or one of the origins of the whole idea of many of the religions was to support people in functioning truly as human beings, as the presence of love. You know, we come into a culture, and the specialty of, this, of much of this culture that we're in is to knock out the presence of love, knock out the awareness of the presence of love that we are created from. In other words, destroy the spiritual body. You know, it's just don't, don't worry about what can destroy your body. Worry about what can destroy your soul, your being. And we have a very deeply soul-destroying culture that raises children in hostility and fear and punishment and guilt and rage, and literally insanity. So if that's a space that one has come from, 
and probably they don't have much of a spiritual body. Oh, they may have a strongly developed mental body. They went to school and they learned this trade or that set of skills or this profession. And if that overrides their primary purpose, then that life isn't going to be a very viable life. Then a secondary purpose comes along, and that's where we each have a unique individual secondary purpose. If we all had the same secondary purpose, there wouldn't be any you know, truck drivers, or there wouldn't be any doctors, or there wouldn't be, you know, how many professions would be missing if we all, we each have our own unique, and, and the the point of the um, Purpose, Personal Power, and Commitment Workshop and Worksheet is that the steps in that worksheet are a way to overcome the brainwash and get clear on what your purpose is, your unique secondary purpose. And then when you align your primary and your secondary purpose, and you align that with your goals, your thoughts, your behaviors, then that's when you align your energy in a way that brings through true personal power. And I have a definition for personal power, the best definition I've been able to come up with yet, and that is that personal power is the ability to be continuously aware of and function out of your true being as love. That's personal power. The person who has generational patterns they haven't resolved of hostility and fear, fall out of alignment with love, fall out of alignment with the truth of who they are, and fall into that hostility and fear game. And then, of course, to make a commitment to that process becomes, you know, rounds up the title of that workshop, Purpose, Personal Power, and Commitment. But the worksheet is on the website. If you just go to whyagain.org and look for Purpose Worksheet, or put whyagain.org in a search bar, a space, Purpose Worksheet, it'll take you to it. You download it and fill it in. And if you work with it and you have questions about it, of course, that's the reason we're here with the radio show, to answer those questions to support you in it. And when I think about, you know, for me personally, the the shift that took place in my life when I recognized what my real purpose was. And stepped into formulating goals. There was a point where when I first started to do this work, when I was first introduced to this type of thinking, it was somehow quite natural to me. It was very attractive, and I knew I had to participate in it. Actually, the first time I was invited to a workshop that was different than the culture's brainwash, I was in business, and my I, I was in the restaurant business, and weekends were our big week, our, you know, our real really busy time and the workshop I was invited to the only time that it was offered was on weekends so it was pretty it was a monumental thing it was in a city about two hours away that the workshop was happening but I arranged for somebody to uh, to take over the restaurant and and uh, went to the workshop and I got there and there were only a few participants in it and the guy who was had 
you know, um, offered and was going to be teaching, and I'd paid for the workshop and all. And he just said, there are enough people here. I'm not teaching. He canceled it. <laughs> but, and, and which, you know, probably should have soured me on it. But I had just heard a little bit. Actually, there was a, a friend who had done this workshop, and he said, you know, this is something I didn't like at all. But, Michael, you might be interested. He told me a little bit. And it's like I just knew I needed to be there. And it took about six years of getting clear on what my purpose was for me to walk away from the business world and step into teaching and to develop this body of work. So I'm thankful for having discovered what my real purpose was instead of floating around in the business world thinking it was about making money. So... Uh, things change direction dramatically for many people. I've seen that happen over and over again when people discover their purpose. So, Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up? Anything happening in the chat room? And, by the way, if you're listening to the show on one of those stations where we can't see you, where we're syndicated, if you dial directly into the show. Number is 563-999-3581. You'll be listening to the show on your phone. And then if you push 1, that will raise your hand in the control panel. Jeannie will know you want to talk to us. So, Miss Jeannie, what's happening? The only hand up is Don's. I'll turn his back on. I think it's just still up where he was letting us know that your um, headset wasn't working real well. But let's double check with him. Uh, yeah, and no real questions right now, but I, I uh, do want to contact Michael later, maybe about uh, an Avicen for uh, someone that's got a supposed diagnosis of avascular necrosis. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll give you a shout after the show, Don. Okay. All right. Thank you. Delighted. Blessings. All right, Ms. Jeannie, we're at about the 30-minute mark. We've got 30 minutes for conversation. Let's open the gates. Let's, who's there? What's on your mind? One press Well, I don't have any other thoughts at this point, Ms. Jean. So do you have anything to uh, to move in the direction of? No. Um, I shared, you know, uh, the person that I had worked with this morning and, and uh, their discussion about the inner child. But uh, other than that, I don't have anything. Oh, somebody press one or if you're in the chat room, ask a question. Help us direct the show. Which way do you want to go? Well, one of the, the thoughts that, that comes to mind is, and this one just for me comes around again and again, is to recognize that perception is nothing but a construct of the mind. It's, to me, is so important to recognize that 
the mind has an output and the output of the mind has a quality and that perception is built out of information held within the mind, which is held within the body. Literally, the whole world of perception is built out of and reflects the content of a person's mind. And when we live in denial, and again, denial being when I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of what's moving inside of me, when I live in denial, I dissociate from parts of the content of my own mind. And then when somebody or something comes along and resonates that content, I build my brain's image of that person out of that content, and I'm looking at a picture painted on the inside of my eyeballs, and I think I'm looking at that person. But everything that makes that person up and everything that I feel that I think has something to do with that person is simply a reflection of what's resonating in me and showing up as this image on the inside of my eyeballs, literally, because eyes don't see. Absolutely, totally, completely ridiculous idea to think that that something that a, an antenna that brings light energy into the structure that that you can see out of that antenna. It's just, I mean, it's silly on its face. And all you have to do is look at any given circumstance to prove that to yourself. You know, sit in the courtroom and listen to six different people testify about an a- testify. Pardon me about an accident, and you'd be swear you'd swear that. No two of those people were at the same accident, or maybe these two were, but these two were certainly at a different one. How could their realities be so different? Because reality is nothing but a perceptual construct of the individual mind based on the content of that individual mind. And what most people do is they live in a world where they substitute their realities, their perceptual constructs, for the actuality of what's actually going on in the world. And when one has generations of unresolved hostility and fear, that person has never visited the world of actuality. Yeshua called this world of perception, constructs of the mind, appearances. Remember he said, don't judge by appearances. Your mind makes up a million appearances, and when there's hostility or fear, the appearance your mind is making up is, is based in corrupt data. Literally, that picture is formulated out of data in you that's corrupt. That's what hostility and fear mean within the mind. And that's the time to pick up the tools and start to move out the generational patterns that lead to feelings of rage and guilt and fear, sadness, hatred, vengeance, etc. And as one cleans those things up, all of a sudden, people who yesterday were, were my, my perception of them was built of unresolved issues within myself, when I resolve those issues, all of a sudden those people become very acceptable. And that applies to oneself as well. If one has dissociated from content about themselves, or at least that their mind holds is about themselves, then they can be 
trapped in a thousand different disturbances about what they think is themselves. And, and the self that they're looking at, the self that they're dealing with, is nothing but a construct of the mind and usually based in power person messages that have been given to them. You have a question in the chat room and, along those lines. Oh, great. Cool. Let's go for it. So how do you overcome resistance in facing self, facing responsibility for your part? Well, of course, there's this thing called cosmic grief, willingness. And I think the first step into willingness for most people is to recognize what's going on, to recognize the truth. You know, if, if I play this game and I live in denial and know it's all them, 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 and them, and then I stop and I, somebody makes me aware that I've been through that particular painful reality, 87 different times with 42 different people, then I think some awareness that, hmm, I'm the only one that was there every time, and I've blamed 42 different people for that. Could it possibly be? You know, is it, is it even, you know, can I even entertain the thought that maybe I'm actually trapped in my own projections? Because how could it be that 42 different people have all done exactly the same thing. And then, you know, I found this person that I knew was different. And it wasn't long before the honeymoon was over, before they were doing it too. You know, the, the title of my book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? The Why Is This Happening to Me Again experience is about constructs of the mind. It's not about what's happening in the world. It's not that, oh, they're doing the same thing over and over. It's that your mind is building your brain's image of them out of the same content. So for me, when somebody understands that, then, you know, if I'm tired and sick of being sick and tired, then I might start to say, well, okay, well, let me start applying these tools and see what happens. And we're not asking anybody to believe a word that I'm saying. In fact, I say the opposite. Don't believe a word. Go check it out. Try it out. Put the tool to work. Watch what happens. I was talking to a gentleman the other day who was, you know, quite, uh, quite successful in the world. And having retired, he's now living with just a ton of rage that he's never faced. And sooner or later, one has to say, hmm, do I like what I'm feeling? No. Am I responsible for what I'm feeling? Well, 87 different times with 42 different people, at least I can suspect that I'm responsible. Okay, well then, I'm willing to take a look. I'm willing to take the tool and put it to work and watch what happens. And here's what will happen. Even if you don't believe the tool will work, even if you don't believe a word I say, if you just use it, your constructs about yourself and the people around you are going to change. And when you rid your physiology with every generational influence of hostility or fear, then your own cellular structure will be fueled by the active presence of love. And all of a sudden, serenity, gentleness, extending love to self, embracing others in the presence of your being as love, 
becomes not only attractive, but desirable and natural. You know, the only reason anybody's ever been in rage or grief or pain or trauma is because there's rage or grief or pain or trauma within the system. When you remove those things, and of course, you know, my, my offering is the purpose of life is to kick us right square in the limitation. Life designed us for life. And, and the best definition of life that I've been able to come up with is that life is love flowing through a cell. Anything we do to inhibit love flowing through a cell will result in that cell saying, ouch, that hurts, stop it. Now, if there's somebody in your life that you're saying, ouch, that hurts, stop it, go in and forgive as to your hurt, and you'll remove your hurt. Now, you may still not like what they're doing, but you don't have to hurt over what seems to be what they say or do. So each hurt is a call to remove from your section, of course, short of somebody punching you in the nose. Nothing anybody says or does, nothing that happens in the world can quote, unquote, hurt you. But if there's hurt in there, oh, a thousand different people can come up and resonate that hurt. Our objective with this work is to introduce the tools with which, if you're willing, you can literally remove any experience of hurt, any experience of hurt, because it's not natural to hurt. We're not designed for that. We're designed to live as the active presence of love. And using the tools is what will change the game. So I hope that makes sense. Any other thoughts for that caller on the uh, on that in the chat room? I had to reboot the chat room for some reason. It shut me down. So hmm. I know it's crazy. Okay. Um, nope. No other comment. No hands up. We have 17 minutes. Well, we've got to have somebody out there with a thought for us. What's happening in your world? Or we can go back to this idea of, you know, living in perception. When we live in perception, we live in a... We live in a reality that's always a replicate of something from the past. And people who live in perception who, you know, the world says, oh, that person is so brilliant. In the ancient teachings, that was called living in the mind of man. And anybody who is not aware of actuality, not aware of the actual energetic world, no matter how brilliant they are, is living in ignorance because it's a reflection of past content, reorganized, rearranged, 
And when I can admit, you know, Dr. Tim talks about this a lot, is that if I can approach something with the mindset of, I don't know anything about this. Well, there's some things I think I know or some things I'm sure I know, but if I'm sure that I know it, then my perceptual mind will block any new possibilities. When I can approach something with, okay, so I really seem like I know all about this, and now what I'm going to do is I'm going to open the space to perhaps come to another level of understanding. You know, you look at uh, the... uh, the world of education or indoctrination and one of the things that they they tell us is that knowledge what we know becomes obsolete every 20 years or so like there's a whole new way of understanding and seeing the world a whole new you know this this telescope that's come out i mean for for tens of thousands of scientists, the Big Bang was the end-all and the be-all of creation. And now the evidence coming from this new, um, what's the name of the telescope? Whatever it is that, that's just come out in the last year or so. They're like the Big Bang. That, that which we tens of thousands of scientists knew is now obsolete. Well, anything coming from perception is going to become obsolete although it might be accurate information, it's still not the direct experience of actuality. And it's only when we are linked to, connected to, the truth of the actuality every moment that our human lives really fire and really, you know, step up to the plate and we become really, truly, fully human. And oftentimes, as you step into those experiences, you'll have an experience and you just don't have words for it. And you go back to Yeshua 2,000 years ago and the disciples, and he's conveying this idea to the disciples. They're like, well, tell us, tell us, tell us. And, and he says, there's so many things I want to tell you, but you can't hear them. You don't have the brain cells for them yet. So one of the reasons for carrying on this show, this conversation, is to have a place where anybody in the world can access a conversation about actuality and the tools for achieving direct contact and the experience of the actual life that comes from living in the actual world as an actual created human being called love and dismantling everything else. And, of course, the the benefit on, on our side of it is there are parts of life that you've discovered, there are insights that you've brought forward in your world, experiences you've had, that when you share them with us with your ability to question or your experiences, everybody that's playing, everybody that's part of the audience gets to go to a new level, gets to go to a new place. And that's the power of community. And, you know, over the centuries, you know, around every spiritual teaching, and spiritual just means actuality, what comes from the actual world. You know, perception, according to Harvard research, it goes back, you know, way back into the 50s, and it's never been contradicted. In a time frame where 10,000 brain cells are firing, 
measurable units of electrical activity in the brain, the max amount of data going on within that the, the construct of conscious awareness, the max amount of data that enters that conscious awareness is nine bits of data. And it's been estimated that in that same time frame, and according to the research out of Harvard, that time frame is about a 25th of a second. It's been estimated that there are perhaps as much as 20 trillion bits of data in the actuality. And our limited senses, our limited ability to construct perceptions, just reflects a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of that. And my offering is that as we wake up as human beings in our beingness is our capacity to be aware of, to function within the whole of the creation. Yes, including the comprehension of everything that that telescope is now showing us, which is like light years beyond what anybody had conceived the universe and the universe is to be. So it's a pretty incredible journey to me, and I find that the more that I comprehend about actuality, the more I find I'm just scratching the surface. It's like I could easily spend 24 hours a day in research and study of so many different things. And so the, to me, the search for what was it Yeshua was talking about when he said, there's so many things I would tell you, but you can't hear them. I want the brain cells to be able to hear them. And then you hear Yeshua explaining that there's this power inside of us that in Aramaic was called Roku de Kutcha. You know, in some fields it's been called the innate. Other fields it's been called the unconscious. Other fields it's just been called energy. They're, everybody's talking about the same thing. There's only one thing to talk about. You know, Winston Churchill said we have the privilege of being separated by a common language. What does that mean? Well, if I have one set of brain cells attached to one word and you have a different set of brain cells attached to that word, then when we each use our words, we think we're talking about something different. But the truth is there's only one thing to talk about, and that's the event of creation and our part in it. And it's so far beyond a pea brain that's stuck in hostility, fear, gathering stuff, wanting power, there's so much unconsciousness in all of that that utilizing the tools opens the unconscious dynamics, removes the generational and cultural issues that keep us locked into limited perception and opens those higher faculties for us to experience the truth of who we are as human beings. So 
that's what we're here to uncover. That's what we're here to comprehend, and that's what we're here to work toward. Okay, there was a further comment. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, They said, uh, it's a tough one to accept that no one can hurt me. Uh, Acceptance of this, I find I go into resistance totally against what's taught from society. And I gave them the example. I said, you know, physically they might hurt you, but your mind and your emotions are your own to control. And I gave the example that I got married at 16, and he was very abusive, and I stayed with him for three years and finally got brave enough to get out. Yes, he physically and mentally hurt me, but then I carried the fear and the hate for 40 years before I began healing that process. And while he needed to be held accountable, my fear and hate only hurt me. He probably didn't even know that I still existed, and he thought that what he did, he had a right to do. And um, that, you know, now that I've cleaned up part of that, you know, I'm not saying I'm totally done, but... Uh, that draws in repeated situations to show me my fear and my hate and that I could now run into him in the street and not want to destroy him. Um, but that um, what, asking what part of me draws in people to show me my fear, that's my responsibility. And when I clean that up, then I'll draw, draw in a totally different creation. And they said that that helped. Perfect example. And, you know, another level of being able to look into that, you know, most of the things that people say hurt them, it's not somebody actually physically assaulting them, actually physically inflicting harm and pain on them, but it's what somebody says. So when I say what, you know, let's take me as example. What Michael said on that radio show today really upset me. Okay, let's analyze what that means. First of all, Michael didn't didn't say anything. I haven't said a word on this show yet, and I've never said a word in my life, and I know that I will never say a word in my life. But I do have a little flap of skin in my throat that somebody taught me how to vibrate. And that little flap of skin causes air molecules to move. So in essence, what you're saying, if you said what Michael said upset me, is some air molecules moving into a microphone that's in front of Michael's mouth that caused a little ceramic disc to move, which created an electrical frequency that fed into the phone that then was converted into a car- and, and inserted in a carrier wave that radiated out and hit an antenna that's just down the road from where Michael is. And that antenna picked up that carrier wave, decoded the signal, the energy of those air molecules moving, and coded it and put it into seeing as how I'm tuned to this station, put it into a signal coming out of blog talk radio. And here I am, I'm in Timbuktu, and that signal was transferred to an antenna in Timbuktu. And that antenna radiated a carrier wave that came to, because my phone is in resonance or tuned to it, came into my phone, and my phone decoded that signal 
and took the frequency of the air molecules that moved from Michael's flap of skin moving in his throat and caused a little cardboard thing in my phone or plastic thing in my phone called a speaker to vibrate. And that vibration moved air molecules that then hit the eardrum in my ear, and that eardrum responded and moved some little tiny, tiny bones in my ear that created an electrical frequency that resonated information in my mind, and that's what hurt me. Hello? I mean, think about what it took for you to say what Michael said hurt me or what anybody said. I mean... It's pretty silly on its face. However, we've been brainwashed by the culture. I mean, if, if you were raised in this culture, unless somebody was really conscious, by the age of four, you were a very devout, card-carrying member of the one world religion of blame. And that's the primary moving energy in this culture. I mean, just turn on the TV and listen to the blame game. I don't care whether it's in politics or religion or business. How long is the blame? How deeply embedded is the blame game in most human minds? How long has it been going on? Well, go back and take a look. You know, in, in, in this Western culture, we hear a story of creation, and we hear about this guy named Adam. And the minute that Adam's life isn't going exactly the way he'd like it to go, he's got God to blame, and he's got this woman to blame. God, that woman you gave me. <laughs> if, if that's your inheritance, if that's what your culture has given you, then what your mind will do is everything you don't want to be responsible for that you create in your life, and notice it's happening to you again and again and again and again, 47, 87 different people, 42 different, you know, on and on and on, whatever the numbers are. And there it is happening to you again. And you're the only one that was there every time. Now, that doesn't mean that you're to blame. Don't take the blame game on yourself. That just means there's a part of you involved in what's happening in your life. And when you hold pained perceptions those pained perceptions will reproduce again and again and again until you learn how to collapse that perception of pain in on itself, access the underlying energy that you've been hiding from yourself, that you've been in denial about, access it directly in the presence of active love, and when that occurs, that pained energy will dissolve. And then that person can say it. You may not like that they say it. You may want them to never say it again, but they'll say it, and you don't have to have that kind of response within you because you've removed it. And guess what? When you remove it, Watch carefully. There's going to be, there's going to be a, not only a psychological and emotional discomfort that's going to disappear, but physical diseases are going to start to disappear from your life if you're ready to go to that level of responsibility and do that. That's what these souls are about, or at least what the world calls physical diseases, which, of course, is another ridiculous idea. If we listen to Einstein, Einstein says this, on such things as matter, we've been all wrong. 
what we have heretofore called matter is energy, energy whose vibrations have been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses. There is no matter. We don't live in a material world. So if we don't live in a material world, we don't have bodies. If we don't have bodies, we can't have physical diseases. There's nothing physical. It's all energy. And when you start to see life through the eyes of energy, your perceptual world changes dramatically. And it, it then, as you do your work, it becomes a pathway for stepping into, for walking into the world of actuality, that 20 trillion bit world, and comprehending from there. And that's when my offering is, that's when true human life begins. And we're here to support human life. We're here to support you experiencing your life as love moving through your cellular structure and you fulfilling the purpose for which you were created. And so I'd like to share this space with you. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. Thanks for joining us. Blessings. Bye-bye.